We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Sometimes Weekly Sports and Stuff. I am BJ Kissel up here in Weston, Missouri at the Holiday Distillery. Got a little different setup for this episode. And again, if you have not been up here to Weston, strongly recommend coming up here, doing the tour, coming down. We are coming to you from the event center. They've got a bar behind us. They do all kinds of special events and things that are going on. Always have a batch of cocktails ready for you. I've got the Bing Cherry a little lemonade to, to get this Friday going. And we have got a special guest for this episode. I'm really excited about this. A guy that pretty bored right now, doesn't have a lot going on. And yeah. Mr. Connor Dawson, who was recently hired as the Milwaukee Brewers hitting coach and is actually from Kansas City. And we are going to break all of that down. And again, thank you so much, Connor, for coming up. Obviously, baseball being in strike. You don't have a lot going on here in the offseason, but appreciate you coming up, spending some time with us. I appreciate it. And yeah, you, like you said, a little bit bored right now. Not a whole lot happening and um, just kind of laying low and hanging out. Well, I want to talk about your story because we've got a mutual friend and Matt Hinckley, who I work with at KC Strength and Conditioning, helping those guys out. And um, Matt, and you and I had known each other. You had done some Chiefs content. You're a Chiefs fan, graduated from Olathe North High School um, a handful of years ago. I don't want to date anybody here, but... Uh, you have such an interesting story. You played at Neosho uh, for Coach Murray down there. Uh, you're from the area, very tied into the baseball world in uh, this way, but you were only in the, the Seattle Mariners minor league system for, what, three years? Three years, yeah. Before getting that job with the Brewers. So I want to unpack all of that because it's very interesting and very similar, and I think there are a lot of parallels to different coaches and different people at the professional level. And Chiefs fans don't need to look any farther than Andy Reid, you know, playing uh, Pasadena community college, excuse me, uh, Glendale community college, and then going to BYU, not playing a lot yourself, yeah. going to Neosho, not playing necessarily at the level that you are now coaching. And to me, that's really, really interesting. And we we're going to get to that, but let's start from the beginning, Olathe North high school. Just what was your baseball story growing up in the Kansas city area? Yeah. You know, played, you know, at all the different places in Kansas city between three and two, you know, different club ball with some different academies that are within Kansas city, but Went into freshman year to Latham North. My brother was a senior, so I made JV. My brother was a starting shortstop. And uh, that was a fun year of just getting just absolutely destroyed by my brother for every mistake I made. But uh, throughout high school, played with uh, a team called the Kansas City Bullets in the summers and the fall, who I ended up getting my first coaching job with. Um, but after Latham North, you know, I 
went to Neosho County and, and kind of the journey really started at that point. When you went, was coaching always what you wanted to get into? Cause like when we talked about this, where a lot of people would know me kind of as a football media person, but it was a baseball player growing up. And I knew very early on, this wasn't a knock on my side. I didn't believe in myself, but I threw 82 miles an hour and I was five eleven and right-handed. Like I was kind of limited on where I could go, but you know, did you have aspirations of, of playing professionally or getting into coaching? Was that something that you knew throughout? Cause I knew from the beginning, like I wasn't going to play professionally. I coached a little bit, but what was your kind of calling and when did that hit for you? Yeah, I, I would probably say around my junior year of high school. Um, that's usually when everybody starts to, you really see the size difference and, and, the talent level start to separate and I could see mine separating pretty quickly as the 5'10, 140 pound slow second baseman with no juice. And it became pretty clear. I like, if I was going to stay in the game for a long time, like I need to start learning the game at a deeper level and I want to help others. Um, we actually had a neighbor uh, growing up that you know there was two younger kids and I would help them and I got a ton of enjoyment out of it. Uh, there was a couple of other kids down the street that would come ask for help from my brothers and I, and, there's a ton of enjoyment out of it. And it was around that time. And, and that was kind of the moment I was like, this sounds pretty awesome. Um, and then, you know, along that line too, that's when recruiting starts for myself. Yeah. I'm starting to get recruited by different junior colleges. Uh, and you know, that seemed like a pretty cool Avenue to have a career. Like these guys go around and watch baseball all day and try to build a roster. Like this is, this is awesome. Um, so that was kind of when it really started to kick in. Yeah. I know that, whether it's baseball or, you know, high school football, you always end up saying and repeating the things that you heard from coaches when you were younger. And I know you mentioned before we started recording that, you know, with the Casey Bullets, that Dale Reed was one of those guys that was really influential for you. Even nowadays, I know you're way up at the big league, you got all that. You find yourself like recalling and remembering things that you learned when you were, that just hit you in that way, as you kind of like pay it forward to the coaches that help you be in the position that you are in. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things there that, that we learned growing up. But I think the biggest thing that, you know, I got from Dale and Dale has been doing this for 20 plus years, one man show, just letting it ride, having fun. But the biggest thing Dale did was he kept things really simple. And that's kind of what I always go back to is how simple can I make my messaging? Because it doesn't matter if it's a 10 year big leaguer or if it's a six year old, the more simple the message, the easier it's going to be to digest. And and that was one of the biggest things I learned from Dale was how simple he made things for us and, and how simple his philosophy was. It was very easy to digest and see what we needed to do to be better or maintain our skills. So, uh, you know, that was the biggest thing that Dale taught was just the simplicity of coaching and simplicity of your message, especially now in my role with so much information that we have to be able to take all of this and dwindle it down to a simple message. Otherwise, we're just going to overload every hitter with information that the paralysis by analysis is probably a phrase that's used in baseball probably more than anywhere else for that reason and that so much of it is mental and you just can't be thinking as a pitcher you can't be thinking about your mechanics you know in the exactly. middle of your windup as a hitter you can't be thinking about um, all of those things and just hitters will tell you like when you're in the zone like what are you thinking about and they'll be like I'm not thinking about anything like that you just go up there and hit the ball uh, when you made the trans actually before we get to that for people who are listening to this, who may have, you know, kids or if they're younger and they're, they're living this themselves as high school kids in this competitive baseball environment, not to, to ask too much of a loaded question, but as far as the specialized athletes and all the things that are going on as somebody who's very quickly 
moved up in this, this world and the professional coaching ranks, what advice do you have for people that think that everything is everything that every decision you make on every travel tournament, every workout, every, it's so competitive. There's so many clubs out there. There's so much stuff going on that you can almost scare kids into thinking I'm behind if I'm not doing X, like as somebody, and I know you probably don't see yourself in this way yet, but you're a professional coach. What advice do you have for either parents or kids who are in high school that are trying to get to where you are or to where the players you're coaching are? Yeah. With Seattle um, over the last three years, I've been lucky to be around over a hundred plus players, a bunch of different coaches with several different backgrounds. I don't know a single person's background before they got to college. Like it, it's really like when it comes to youth level and as they, they get through high school and they're starting to learn the game, that's really all it is, is just learning the game as a hitter. Are we learning how to swing at good pitches and hit the ball hard on the line? That's simple. You know, and it doesn't matter if you play for X team or Y team or, you know, you're doing lessons with X person or Y person. Like, that's really all that matters. And that's what college coaches care about. They don't really care about your background. They care about what you can do to produce. And as long as the player is having fun and learning the just the basic fundamentals, like nothing else matters. Nobody cares. Yeah. You know, I, I just think more kids and this is complete. I could be completely out to lunch here, but I just feel like more kids now are probably being moved away from baseball because of overcoaching, there's too much pressure on like a 12 year old than the talent not being there at 12. Like you hear these stories, like, you know, Lorenzo Cain didn't play baseball till high school. Like you have all of these stories and that could be, you know, an outlier and not the example, but in general, I still feel like more kids now are being, you know, deciding that baseball is not my thing before at an early, too early of an age to even know if baseball is their thing, whether it's from them, the coaches, the parents, their friends and the pressure and all of those things. I just feel like it's, it's very real nowadays and people that are in positions like yourself and everybody else out there needs to constantly remind people that you don't have to, doesn't, you're not going to make the big leagues because you picked the right hitting coach at 10 years old. That's true. But if you pick the wrong one, he may not play baseball when he's 14. Exactly. And that to me is more real than all the other stuff. And I think we're on the same page, right? Yeah. It's just, there's so much out there, especially given social media with how much stuff you can find on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. And then all of the different coaches that are, it seems like in, in Kansas city, especially like there's more and more academies and more and more teams and more and more options. And with all those options comes a lot of pressure. Yeah. And there is a lot of like, who are you hitting with? Who's your guy? When in reality, at, at 12 years old, it doesn't matter. You're, you're probably better off just sitting at home and having fun and, you know, challenging yourself off a machine or having dad throw a little harder at you. That's really what's, what's crushing. I think there's just so much info that we're probably not doing the best job. And this carries up into professional baseball as well. We're probably not doing the best job of simplifying and really worrying about ma what matters. And, and what matters is fundamentally swinging at strikes and hitting the ball hard. <laughs> yeah. And if, like, simple it's, game, it's, right? it's a simple game. And there's a lot of ways to measure it. And there's a lot of ways to accomplish it. But let's just try to do it, you know, in a very simple, maybe three different ways rather than 300 different ways, because yeah. there's 300 options out there. So it's really tricky. It, it really is like, as difficult as it is for a young player now or, or a parent now, um, it, it's just, it's a tricky space to maneuver at the moment. 
yeah. within baseball in particular. I don't really see that in, in the football realm or soccer, yeah. you know, but in baseball, there's so many options. And that's, that's a tricky thing to maneuver if you don't have the background or experience to, you know, or a trusted source to, to help you through that. Yeah, we talked about before just the com- competition in the EKL where I grew up out in Overland Park. I went to Blue Valley High School. The level of baseball that's being played now in the EKL at Blue Valley West, and I coached at Blue Valley Northwest for a couple of years. We played Blue Valley West, you know, in the semifinals. And they've got an entire, in- like the entire starting lineup went like D1, I think. Like seven of the nine guys who started went D1. Had, like three guys who went D1 in like the entire Blue Valley School District my <laughs> senior year. It's just, it's a different world now. And there's like 25 of those guys. And I have a chance with those guys at KC Strength and Conditioning to see some of the top arms in the city uh, come over and train. And it's just, these kids are built. I think it's probably always going to be the case. Yeah. Just kids are younger. They've got more information. They've got more, um, you know, information at their disposal to make them better athletes. And I think that John Renzi and those guys at KCSC do a great job of, of tailoring things specific to baseball and keeping it fun, which is probably the most important thing. I think we agree on that, but the other thing I want to ask you about, so you, coaching Casey bullets and then you move on and you're with ben, you coach a little bit at Benedictine spent some time with Marshalltown community college up in Iowa. And I know another one of those guys that you had mentioned, uh, Anthony Everman, who's very influential for you and in helping you get to where you are at such a quick, you know, quick pace. And we'll get to that, you know, kind of launch period here in a second, <laughs> but uh, what did Anthony Everman and what did those stops at Benedictine and Marshalltown mean to you and where you're at right now? Yeah, as, as a young coach, you know, there is a, there's, there's a curiosity about you. You want to try and you want to have your own philosophy, your own thing to do. And there's a lot of places that as a young coach, you don't have that opportunity. There's a system in place. There's things you have to do. You have certain responsibilities. And, and with Anthony, Anthony, let me coach. He let me trial and error. He let me fail. He let me succeed. Uh, when I was with Anthony for just two years and two years, I was a strength coach, a hitting coach, a catching coach, outfield coach, pitching coach. He let me do everything. Yeah. And he gave me a chance to learn the game and actually try to coach it. And, and within all of that, you know, you find different cues and different ways to connect with players. And there was just so much opportunity to make something my own yeah. and to experiment and explore that I don't think most young coaches have that opportunity. And yeah. so that that's what I'm most thankful for with Anthony. And, and the best part is he would let me fail. You know, yeah. we would meet every morning and he would ask me how it went. And I, I could very openly say, Hey, it didn't go very well because of X, Y, Z. And he'd be like, yeah, I saw that coming. Here's some different ways we can improve it. And, so and cool. then let me fail again or yeah. let me try it again. And, and in a two year span, I got to coach all that different positions. Yeah. Some of it, was off of need um, with some different things that happened, but still the ability to do it my, my own way and, and experiment and trial and error was is something that I think is a large reason why I was able to move so quickly was yeah. I just, I had less resources and I had to figure out how to get creative and how to do it in a very simple manner. Yeah. Um, and I'm so thankful for those two years. That's so cool that, you can be in a position that people allow you to fail. And I think so many people now are afraid of failure that it scares them into not even trying mm-hmm. things because like, well, if I fail, then, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Like KC sports network, like I fail a lot. <laughs> like I, there are a lot of things that are going wrong, but to the same point, like right out of college, my first job was working for a collegiate summer baseball team. 
And it was in Junction City, Kansas, called the Junction City Generals. It was a team that I worked for for four years. They're now called the Brigade, uh, playing the same field, a little different setup. But when we were doing the Generals, there were three of us. Like we had a business ops guy, a graphic design creative guy, and then I was the baseball guy. Like sign the players, hire the coaches, like put it all together. And we made so many mistakes throughout the thing. But for the rest of my life, like it was so valuable that it was like on me to try to do something and then it fails. And it's like, okay, I learned that lesson as opposed to taking an internship with a big company and having very like not real responsibilities in a very small corner of something. Uh, whereas you go to like a major D1 program as an intern, and I'm, I don't know if this is, would be the case, but you might not be in the same position to trial and error and have a coach um, like coach uh, Anthony Everman, like you're saying, that allows you to do those things. And I think that that's a message that should resonate. And if it doesn't, should be heard by anybody out there that is either coaching or if you are, you know, a younger you know, kid or younger person, don't be afraid to fail. Like baseball is a game of failure. So like you don't have a choice, but to learn how to deal with it. But man, like if you're too scared to fail that you never try, you're never going to succeed with it. And, and that that's also like leadership. And I, I think, I do think of young coach, like young uh, athletes coaching young players, you know, they want, nobody goes into a, a job or, or a game and wants to do poorly. You know, everybody wants to do good, but there's also an aspect of creating freedom and autonomy where although they want to do good, they are going to fail and allowing them to fail and learn from it. And, and that piece is lost because of everybody wants to win so bad, but in reality, winning takes a process. And within that process, there's gotta be some sort of failure involved and some sort of learning of how to improve that process. Um, so, I mean, again, the, the ability to just go out there and fail a ton over two years it shaped everything. Yeah, that's awesome. And you probably gained a lot of equity with the people around you. Um, obviously not knowing each other that well, but like when you fail in front of people and they see how you react to it, it sets the stage for how you are when things are great, how you are when things are not going great. And then just your, your general demeanor as a leader or somebody that people look to when you, whether you're an assistant coach or a coach or whatever that position of authority is, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing for people to see you fail and how to handle it. Cause then you get a chance to set the tone for your players or whoever else is going on. It's like, Hey, move on to the next thing. We got to keep working, keep trying. Agreed. You know, with, with Seattle, we had some with our players where we talked about E plus R equals O um, comes from a guy named Brian kite uh, who does a lot of culture, um, mental performance stuff. And, it's events, event plus response equals the outcome, right? We always know there's going to be event, right? The outcome is usually determined by the response. And so like using that mindset, when something goes poorly or we fail, like what's our response going to be? Because the response is going to create the outcome for the culture around you, especially the players. And it's something I think like watching Andy Reid is the best. Like he's cool as a cucumber all the time. Yeah. You know, he doesn't freak out. And I think that is reflective along the culture where you know, we saw the Chiefs struggle earlier in the year and it never really looked like it got to them. They still had yeah. fun. And, and I do think that's a direct reflection of the response to the events that Andy Reid has. Yep. And that's what leadership is. And as a coaching young kids, it's very easy to get upset. There's a lot of bad events. Like if you've ever been to a 12U game, there's a lot of errors, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of strikeouts. There's a lot of bad umpires. And it's, you know, there's a lot of things that can add up very quickly that could hurt your SSA ranking or something like that, you know, and like your ability to respond to that with more of a growth mindset, a learning environment 
that can set your kids up to, to want to play more often and want to experiment and want to play for the people around them. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was as somebody that, that played a lot of sports growing up and was coached hard. Like I played, we talked about before, like I played for Brad Hill you know, in college of central Missouri. Brad Hill was not a player's coach. And I owe <laughs> Brad Hill almost everything in my life. I, Brad Hill changed my life the way that just mentally I was um, in high school growing up. Not a bad kid, uh, not like that at all. But there were certain things about growing up where I did. Uh, you go to college, you will learn what hard work is. Like I did not know what working hard actually was until I got to college and was running one tens and kind of like doing all this working uh, for coach Hill. But, you know, for you, I want to, I want to pivot to this because you were at Marshalltown, you were coaching at Benedictine. And then how did you get hooked up with the Seattle Mariners? Cause that's the interesting part of it. Like you go from the Mariners and you get your foot in the door and whatever happened between then and two and a half years later, like you were on this trajectory uh, that is not normal. So let's start with how did you end up with the Seattle Mariners? So uh, via social media, um, I'd created some friends within like the hitting world um, on Twitter specifically. And, and one of them is a guy named Dustin Lind, who's actually one of the hitting coaches for the Giants uh, the last two years, I believe. Um, he's going into his third year now with them. Uh, and the other one was a guy named Donnie Ecker. Um, Donnie Ecker is now, he was the hitting coach for the Giants last year. He is now the bench coach for the Texas Rangers uh, going into this year. But, you know, talking to those guys, just shooting things back and forth. And then I'm sitting at the regional uh, Iowa Community College regional soccer game at Marshalltown. And our soccer team was good just watching the game. And all of a sudden I get a call and it's Dustin Lynn. He said, hey, uh, you want to interview for a job with the Mariners? Like, uh, that sounds cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, not 20 minutes later, I get another call from Donnie, who's a different organization. And, and now I'm talking to Donnie and I'm like, okay, so this is happening. Like, this is interesting. And, and I, I'm in my dorm room, my, my next two or three days, uh, kind of my time between the morning work and then practice in the afternoon. 
I'm doing interviews and I'm living on a dorm and camp on campus and I'm in my dorm room just doing interviews. And here I am talking to uh, Carson Vitale, who's the field coordinator for the Mariners. I'm talking to Andy McKay, the farm director, uh, all these people that are really well respected. And next thing I know, they, they offer me a job in the, in the AZL. Um, I, I actually, this is probably one of my favorite parts is uh, Andy McKay, a farm director was like, Hey, we'd love to have you at spring training. Uh, and this is in January at the time right before the college season. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey, I, I would really like to finish the college season. And here we are at a junior college in Iowa when we weren't very good. We were yeah. just taking over this program that had just lost 40 games and pretty much the same team. Like we weren't very talented. And, and I was like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stay through, you know, the season and I'll, I'll see you in extended and extended spring training in June. And he's like, really? Like, yeah, like, you know, I feel like I need to. And so sure enough, we go through the season um, our last game, uh, was in the regional championship actually against Iowa Western. And it was probably 35, 38, 40 degrees, rainy, windy, just miserable junior college, like college baseball conditions right. in the Midwest. And about five days later, I'm in a dugout in Arizona on a backfield at a complex. It's about 112 degrees. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm so, this is miserable. And then uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. walks up on a rehab at bat first day. I'm like, so this is why this I'm is here. Why this I'm is here. cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it was, it was pretty wild how it happened, but um, it, I do credit it all to, to Dustin Lind and, and our friendship. Yeah. So you go from the Arizona league to like hitting strategy. You had a few different titles mm-hmm. there with the Mariners, but hitting strategist, minor league hitting coordinator, whatever those titles were, but three years later, like you work your way up. Um, I heard some stats about going from like 28th in minor league rankings, as far as hitting to like what top five. Yeah. Yeah. We had a really good year this year. This could be, I'm going to ask you to brag on yourself (laughs) because that's where the part of the story really takes off is that in going back to what you said and having no other part of the story, it says a lot about you that you tell a major league professional team. No, because you feel loyal to the kids that you're working with in Iowa. And tell me if I'm misconstruing nope. that, but it's right before the season, you're saying no to a major league team that still ended up giving you an opportunity. I think it's probably a more about where you're at now because of the character and integrity shown by saying no in that scenario. And then a lot of people would. So what's funny is I was actually a pitching coach for that junior college. <laughs> I, was really? I was interviewing to be a hitting coach with the Mariners and I was actually the pitching coach Cause we didn't have a pitching coach. So that, that was always, I've always said, that's kind of the funny part. And uh, I know funny. our pitching coordinator with the Mariners, Max Wiener. Uh, so basically what a, a coordinator does for those who don't know it, it's, they essentially are in charge of the minor leagues for their side. So when I was the hitting coordinator last year, everything on the minor leagues hitting wise, I was in charge of coaches, players, messaging, everything. And so when I showed up to Arizona uh, in June, when I got hired the fir- in, in 2019, I told our pitching coordinator, I was like, hey, if you need a, an extra hand on the pitching side, like just got done being a pitching coach. And our pitchers weren't like, we weren't very good. I think our ERA was like nine something, Yeah. but it was improvement by full run between the previous year. And I told him, I was like, hey man, like just saying, I, I just led a team to a full run less ERA. Uh, he's like, really? That's, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, I went from 10 to nine, single digits now. I was no like, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, uh, it, it was pretty funny. So what do you attribute 
you know, that, that success during the three years that you were with the Mariners, the, the kids, the athletes, the players that you were working with obviously took to what you were selling, what you were saying, what do you attribute the success that this is where it's interesting with coaching because it's not your success. It's you benefiting from the success that you helped others achieve themselves. Yes. What do you attribute that process doing as it relates to you and where it allowed you to go? It's, it, it's, it's an easy answer, but it's a difficult answer. Number one, it's just, we built relationships. We put a strong emphasis on trying to build trust with the players that, you know, in, in all professional sports, uh, baseball in particular, it, there is, there is an issue with trust between players and coaches and they all have their own hitting guy. They all played for different coaches already. Like there is a business side of it that comes into play. So like there is a trust factor that can be really hard to get. And, and one of the things that we really tried to build was we wanted to create environments where players felt like a, we cared about them. B we wanted the best for them and C that they could be open. Um, and, and we, we did that. And a lot of it was just, by giving them real information and telling truth. Um, there was no feel good necessarily to it, but we told them truth and we, we backed it up with information. And I think they appreciate that. I think any player appreciates like this is what's actually happening. And he's just trying to make me aware because he wants me to be really good and improve. Um, and along that same lines, like we, we built a lot of systems to help players stay accountable to themselves and to help them simplify their own messaging i mean it's the minor leagues is no joke and and especially you know you're in some tiny town in the middle of august you're you're like you're tired you're hungry you know there's nobody in the stands and the one guy that is in the stands is just heckling you like crazy and then you look up on the scoreboard and you see you're batting 170 and it's like like there's a lot of things that can be distracting and really weigh guys down and so a lot of it was like building the relationship that they felt comfortable to express that to us. And at the same time, us being able to provide the right information and give these guys some direction on how to improve without having to worry about the things that are around them and controlling the things that they could control. We didn't talk about this before we recorded, but like just hearing you talk, it reminds me that and my relationship was always with my catcher because I was a pitcher and it was always like, my catcher is my therapist. Mm -hmm. Like they're the ones, their job is not to worry about my mechanics. Their job is to make sure that I'm mentally where I need to be to execute the pitches that I need to. And it seems like from a hitting coach's perspective, it, yes, it's, you know, launching all the, whatever the lingo and the stuff that you guys use now, but it's also just pretty much a therapist or the hitter making sure mentally all those distractions and all the things that can weigh on anyone doing anything don't do that you see yourself more as like a 90 percent of the job yeah it's a mental coach yeah like as as coaches andy mckay told me this uh farm director for the for the mariners he's a mental skills background and, and he told me this like simply coaching is reminding like you, we are professional reminders that's what i am i'm a professional <laughs> reminder at the major league level like that's, that's, I, that's really all cool i'm doing to put it yeah like yeah. i'm i'm reminding guys of the track that they need to be on and most of it is mental and it's reminding guys that they don't stink. <laughs> it's like, and reminding guys good. that you're really good at hitting this pitch and you're really good at hitting to that spot. Yep. Like that's all we're doing is just reminding. And when we stop reminding and we start telling, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. And that's when we tend to lose trust. Yeah. When they're feeling good, it looks like a beach ball. And when not, it looks like a ping pong ball. Yep. That's dancing around in the wind. All right. Let's 
from the Mariners to getting the opportunity with the Brewers. So now I understand this whole thing is probably pretty much a whirlwind for yeah. you in three years going from, you know, coaching at you know, St. Thomas Aquinas coached high school for a few years in the Kansas city area. And, you know, five years later talking to the Milwaukee Brewers about being their big league hitting coach. How did that come about? And what was your initial reaction uh, to getting that call? Yeah. I, I don't know how it happened. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's, it's, I was actually, so I lived in Arizona the past three years um, and we had, my girlfriend and I had just moved back uh, to try to, you know, settle down here a little bit and be close to family. Her family lives in Southeast Kansas, mine's in Olathe. Uh, and so like, I had probably been back a week and I was doing calls with our minor leaders, with the Mariners going over their off season programs. We did all these calls individually and I'm just started a call and our farm director with the Mariners texts me and he goes, I need you to call me urgent. And in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, this is this, there's no way this is good. <laughs> and, uh, so after I get done with the call, I call him. He says, Hey, the brewers have asked to interview you. And he goes, do you know anybody over there? I'm like, no, I don't know anybody. And so for me, I was like, okay, this is awesome. Like, this is cool. Yeah. Um, I, in my eyes, I've had, I had nothing to lose. And so I just kind of went for it and tried to be authentic and just be myself. And I do five hour, no, yeah, it's about five hours of interviews on on Friday between different front office members to Craig Council. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, I thought it went well. Yeah. They're probably not going to call me, you know, but at least it was cool to go through. And, and then they say, hey, can, can we want to bring you up to Milwaukee to talk again? Did another round of interviews in Milwaukee. Uh, they offered me the job there. And I was like, oh, this is this, this is happening. So three years <laughs> earlier, coach living in a dorm in Iowa, deciding, bragging about getting the ERA from 10 to nine as a pitching <laughs> yeah. coach. Three years later, being sitting with Craig Council and getting offered a big league coach job. Yeah, it was it's wild. Like, and I mean, a lot of it's luck. And there, I mean, there is a lot of luck to that, but it it, it is a a wild I, I, again. I'm I, I think I'm the second youngest hitting coach in the big leagues. Uh, the Mariners actually have the youngest one, Jared DeHart. He's a year younger than me. Um, I don't have a degree. I coached high school and NAI junior college. And here we are. It's, I, 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 again, people ask me all the time, get the best out of people in what you're doing. And, and we talked about this before we recorded and I know David Coley, uh, former now former Texans coach, um, different discussion on how he got treated. Glad he's getting a little bit of money, but I'll never forget the conversation that I had with him going back to when I wrote, you know, the long, I did long forms and a lot of the chief's assistant coaches. And I had a chance to sit down and talk with coach Coley about his journey, you know, for probably about 45 minutes in his office. And there were a handful of things that I recall from that conversation that I bring up all the time. One of which is, you know, him talking about coaching for Andy Reid. And that I think I talked to him and it was like November, I think it was the bye week that week. But I remember him telling me that, he could tell me in March 13th exactly what his responsibilities would be because of how organized Coach Reed was. He knew exactly what he had. And it wasn't just about the schedule being laid out. He goes, I can schedule a vacation with my family. I can say, you know what? Tell his wife, like, we can go take this extended weekend and plan that out two months in advance, knowing that Coach Reed isn't all of a sudden going to be like, hey, we have this surprise meeting. or We have this and that. There's no surprises like that. So, like, he's very consistent in that way. And that, that level of communication was what an organization meant everything to Coley. But the other thing that Coley told me that I've referenced before is him talking about Jeremy Macklin. It was when Macklin was with the Chiefs. 
and he had a history, you know, being with the Eagles. And Coley told me that Jeremy Macklin and players like Torello and some, a lot of these guys never judged him for never playing at that level. They didn't care that he couldn't play. They never was a, you know, Jerry Rice. They didn't have to be Randy Moss to give him lessons. All he cared about is, can he give me information that will make me better at my job? And if he can do that, I will run through a wall for you. Mm-hmm. And that was David Coley's kind of just mantra of, I never played at this level. Andy Reid didn't play at this level. We talked about Todd Haley. There are a lot of NFL coaches that never played at that level, but they could get the most out of their guys and the guys believed in them because of doing things like getting offered a job a month before a season and saying, no, I'm loyal to my guys. So you call it luck. And I say, that's the, that's the world paying you back for doing the things that the right way and <laughs> not to judge that people do that. They got to do what's best for them. But in your case, I don't see that stuff as luck because you kind of made your own luck by doing the things the right way and being kind of grounded in that way. And that it's, transitioned over to the brewers and hopefully for you and for the brewers except when they're playing the royals uh, <laughs> that we see that level of success and see that continue because like anything it's it's about people it's not about an angle of a swing it's not about the perfect way of explaining it's about people trusting you and you know they got to care they got to know that you care before they care what you know yep i mean honestly over the past 2 years the the thing I talked about the least with players and coaches is a swing. <laughs> the thing I talked about the most is how we connect with players. That's what matters. The people matter, like yeah. taking care of your people and letting them know that you have their back. The people are what matter. And that's why Andy Reed has been so successful. And everybody says, Oh, Andy Reed gets, you know, guys with a pass and, and brings like, it's just Andy Reed taking care of his people. Yep. You have good people and you have a good process. Things tend to work out. Yeah. And if you're expecting, <laughs> depending upon what your definition of leadership, you know, the chiefs go out and they lose four games in a row and he goes to the podium and everybody gets mad. Cause he, you know, Mia culpa, like it's on me, like all this stuff that is le- like, if you're looking to feel better. It ain't going to happen. You might think you need a better answer or take responsibility in a different way. Like for anyone who's ever been in locker rooms like that, like that's exactly what you want because what matters is that the 53 guys in that locker room, the other 20 coaches know they don't have to worry about what he said. He ain't going to say anything. Yeah. Stuff that really matters, he has to say, he'll say in front of the team to the people that matters. You don't have to go say it to make a headline for everybody else. Exactly. What matters is what those guys are saying in that locker room. But, uh, again, we are talking with Connor Dawson, the current Milwaukee Brewers hitting coach, obviously Major League Baseball in the middle of a strike in the offseason. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Hopefully you have some work soon, but we're up here in Western Missouri at the Holiday Distillery. We appreciate everybody up here, Matt, Patrick, and Jules, and everybody for taking care of us. But, uh, Connor, before we let you go, just – there's such a unique story here. And I know you probably don't see yourself and you're humble in that way. You don't see yourself as this kind of thought leader in this space, but the Kansas city area, and we talked about it earlier, it's so competitive with high school baseball. What's just your message to kids or parents who are listening that are interested in baseball that want their kids to go to college that don't know if it's going to be a junior college, a D2, a D1, if they're trying to get drafted, like what message do you have for anybody who's younger wants to be, you know, baseball to be a thing for them growing up um, or you know, they just baseball is a part of who they are. What's your message to them? You know, for, for, for the high school athletes and high school parents, like have a list of non-negotiables, you know, five or six things that are non-negotiable, whether that's the type of schooling, whether that's the gear they wear, like whatever is important to you and make sure that the school has that. You know, 
And it may not be the division one. It may be the NAI, but that's okay. Right. Go where you're loved, go where you know that you're going to be appreciated. Um, and then from just a, a training perspective, just keep it simple. Yeah. Fundamentals are all that matter. Fundamentals and fun. Yeah. You know, that's, that's it. If, if you feel, if you're a high school kid and you feel like you have to drag yourself out to go work, then like, that's not a great sign. No. Like if, if it's meant to be and it's love what you do, you don't think about it. You just go do it. Like yep. the people that go hit on Christmas afternoon, you know, they open presents and then they go to the tee and they hit the guys that I've been around that went and played major league baseball. And even when I was at K-State, Carlos Torres uh, went and played. He was a relief pitcher in the big leagues for like 10 years, you know, got tenured, all of that stuff. He was the hardest working player I'd ever been around in my life. And not that all those guys make it, but he didn't go work because he was working because he wanted to get somewhere. He was going to working because he loved the process of getting better at baseball. He loved baseball so much. It wasn't just the games. It wasn't what the game can do for him. He just loved the game and he loved working at it. And so that's the message to high school kids. And at the point at which you still love the game, but you're like dragging and you don't want to do that work back off of that, because yep. the worst thing that you can do is stop loving the game because you're overworking yourself in an off season, like maintain your, your mental. I don't know how else to say it yeah. that way. I just, I feel like there's a problem. Uh, with specialized athletes and just being so much pressure on these kids at such a young age that they're feeling like it's make or break when they're 14. And it's like, it's not even close to make or break for you. Right now. It's not even, I mean, you're not even started your journey yet. Yeah. Just have some fun. Yeah. Have some fun. Just like we were doing here <laughs> on sometimes weekly. Again, we appreciate Connor Dawson, alum of Olathe North, went to Neosho, Kansas city kid, uh, making his way through the Major League Baseball world with the Milwaukee Brewers as their hitting coach. Connor, we appreciate you for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We will see you guys all next time. We've got a special guest next week from the college side uh, that I know you guys will you guys will appreciate that conversation. So we'll see you all next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.